just building on our theme that we lightly touched on this morning on the practice of generosity or dana. And so I'm going to just read a little bit of the dana sutta. I believe a resource document has been created. And so I'll put some of the quotes or anything that I use in that document. And I believe that gets sent out to you at, uh, after the retreat, just in case you're, um, yeah, you're the style of you might want to scribble everything down. Um, this, by doing that, you can really just settle back and receive and know that it'll make its way to you. And so the Dana Sutta and the Anguttara Nikaya. <clears throat> so one of the Buddha's longtime practitioners, uh, Sariputta, had asked the Buddha, might there be the case where a person gives a gift of a certain sort and it does not bear great fruit or great benefit? Whereas another person gives a gift of the same sort and it bears great fruit, fruit and great benefit. And of course, this is part of a much longer sutta and I'm just taking an uh, excerpt. And so the Buddha replied, there is the case of a person who gives a gift, not seeking his own profit, not with a mind attached to the reward, not seeking to store up for themselves, nor with the thought, I'll enjoy this after death. So for those who might believe in reincarnation. Instead, they give a gift with the thought, giving is good. They give, they give a gift, food, drink, clothing, a vehicle, a garland, perfume, an ointment. So medication, for example, bedding, shelter, and a lamp to a contemplative this is an ornament for the mind, a support for the mind. And so I'll go into it a little bit more, unpacking that or uh, clarifying some aspects of that. But before, another quote on, um, on generosity by Bell Hooks, a generous heart is always open. As I mentioned this morning, that this teaching on generosity is considered a foundational teaching. Um, people would come to the Buddha about the teachings or wanting to learn them, but he would really start by emphasizing the practice of giving. And only after that those who were seeking to join the practice community uh, had come to appreciate this quality of the heart and mind of, of generosity, only then would he introduce um, the other aspects of his teachings, like, um, like virtue, wisdom, etc., that I mentioned this morning. Dana or generosity, and if you um, would like, you know, perhaps for your own heart and mind, the um, the way that it's spelt. Um, it's D-A-N-A, -A, but there's a long line or there's a line over the first A. And so Donna helps to dispel greed. So it helps to, to weaken greed and it manifests as non-attachment and it's proximal cause. And so proximal cause is what can help it arise more easily. It's proximal cause is having something to offer having something to be relinquished, basically. 
And so just maybe checking in with yourself as you hear that last part in particular, having something to, to offer or relinquish, just notice where the mind or heart might go, where it might go to. And so having something to offer doesn't mean just material goods or money. Even though, as I mentioned at the beginning of our retreat, that that might be the most common way we think of donation. Perhaps in regards to an organization like True North Insight, but any perhaps nonprofit organization or charity. But if we go back to the sitta, it's mentioned, um, let me get that. A person gives a gift of a certain sort. So I like that it was kind of broad, a certain sort. And then in the Buddha's reply, he named some variations of that. Food, drink, clothing, a vehicle, a garland, perfume, ointment, bedding, shelter, a lamp. So what can be relinquished or offered can take many forms. Perhaps to offer up different examples, more maybe contemporary examples, it could include time and energy. I think a hot commodity these days is attention. Um, when we can offer attention free of screens, something I am exploring diligently, I think that is um, a very precious and almost rare gift these days. Presence, information, knowledge, thanks, encouragement, credit, understanding, love, celebrating another person's happiness or sharing in their grief, unconditional respect of others. These are just some examples in which we can be generous. And so given now perhaps this broader perspective or wider range of what we can offer or what can be considered under this umbrella of generosity, just take a moment now to reflect on when might have you been generous today? You don't need to close your eyes, but perhaps something obvious comes to mind. And perhaps you might have to dig deep and both of those are okay. How might what is arising now as you reflect be similar or different to just a few moments ago when I invited you to reflect on the proximal cause being something to be relinquished or having something to offer? It may be the same, it might have changed. And so I, I generally love reflecting, might come as no surprise. I also like to um, drop questions into my practice to widen my own perspective because sometimes the habit of mind can be strong. And so reflecting on acts of giving is part of the practice, not just the act of giving itself. So the act of giving being dana, D-A-N-A, as I mentioned. 
And the tendency when we reflect, and this is just a pattern of mine, maybe it is what arose for you, but the tendency when reflecting on our generosity or what we've given is to turn it into not good enough. I don't offer enough or that little piece I could offer was all I had, but it was still not good enough. Um, so I know that's um, where my mind goes. Also into this, this um, habit of comparing. It's like, well, what would that person give? What could I have given before, et cetera? So comparing as less than, better than, or equal to. But to remind you that it's not about the size or the what of the gift that's important, but it's more about the sincerity of heart or the pure, pure, uh, the purity of your intention. And so that's the distinction the Buddha was trying to make when he replied to Sariputta. That if you're giving a gift and you're like, ooh, this is going to pay off in the afterlife, the intention is not so clear. As opposed to giving is good, simply. And then in that sense, there's that sincerity of heart in, the, in relation to the act of giving. And so Donna, as I mentioned, is the act of giving when Kaga, C-A-G-A, is the quality of mind that is inclined towards generosity. So there's these two aspects of it. In some ways, it can be translated to mean feeling generous. So you're feeling generous and it's coming from this place where you're not attached to any sort of reward in this life or another life. Um, but you're just really wholeheartedly giving. And so that is pointing towards its quality of Kaga. But they're not, it's not as say binary where when you have, when you experience this quality of heart, this Kaga, that it automatically leads to Dana, this act of giving. So it's not such a clear cut equation either. We don't always give just because we're feeling generous or because Kaga has been cultivated. Sometimes we give as a, as a way to kind of ignite or jumpstart that feeling of generosity. And so we can give, we can go through the actions of giving as a way to inspire the heart to trust in this act. And I think that's important since very, very much uh, a part of or um, a consequence of living in a capitalist society is that we are led to believe in the scarcity mindset that there may not be enough, that if we have enough now, we might not have enough later. And so to counteract that sort of habit of mind or that conditioning, sometimes we need to give maybe even lean into some of that fear so that we can start working the, the, heart, the quality of heart kaga like a muscle, like we would work any muscle at the gym. And as we continue to act with generosity, we slowly cultivate the mind that is inclined towards giving. So instead of it being this clear equation, these are two qualities that inspire or feed into each other. Receiving is also very much part of this practice. Yang will talk more about that tomorrow. 
But one thing in regards to receiving that I'm practicing is when we refuse a gift, we deny the giver the joy of generosity. So I don't know if you've done this where someone offers something like help or time or maybe offering up like, can I, lately I've been doing this a lot, sending a lot of Uber Eats gift cards to friends. And, um, you know, so if like someone would offer that up and you're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I can, I can buy it for myself or order in myself, et cetera. And even though that um, refusal of the gift is coming again from this heartful place, um, I'm trying to recognize personally that I'm actually denying the joy of giving from this person. Amanda Palmer, who is a musician and author and a songwriter says, seeing each other is hard. When we truly see each other, we wanna help each other. Human beings are fundamentally generous, but our instinct to be generous gets broken down. And so I think when we don't pay attention to a quality or a practice like dana or generosity, turning our, our, our attention towards our heart and mind state so that we could possibly see kaga arise or maybe the absence of kaga. And then knowing that we then wanna um, water that seed for it to arise. Um, I think those are, um, are just ways that we could perhaps fall into um, unconscious patterns. And so by turning our heart and mind and our attention towards these things, we can really inspire this to, to flourish so that generosity or our instinct to be generous does not get broken down. My first encounter with, with this generosity or this, this practice of dana where I really sincerely felt there were no strings attached. Maybe there were other examples of that in my life. Like I think of just my two primary caregivers, my mom and my aunt, and how, of course, they did a whole bunch of things um, as I was growing up without necessarily um, expecting anything in return. But I was certainly not in a place where I could really see that, value that, and appreciate it. I started waking up to this act of generosity or the beauty of it my, when I first started practicing. I, I first started practicing in Thailand um, and I was on a monastery and it showed up in many different ways. One of the ways that really, really kind of singed its way into my mind and heart was on my retreat. There happened to be an abbot of a nearby monastery who passed away. And where I was practicing in Northern Thailand, it was like a small enough village where it was a village event of this, this um, neighboring abbot's um, passing. And so everyone in the monastery that I was practicing at, um, we would, we did this whole kind of parade almost where we were all holding this long piece of rope and we were pulling this kind of wagon and on this wagon was this makeshift temple and in the middle of this this temple was the body of the abbot who passed away 
And so we were all involved, everyone in the village, the monastery, we were all pulling this wagon over to what would become a field. I had no idea where we were going. And, um, but all the while, if the people in the village were not pulling with us, and it wasn't very heavy, but it was just more the act of coming together. If they weren't pulling with us, it was almost like a marathon. There were other uh, villagers who were giving us water <laughs> at like certain, certain spots along the way or giving us snacks, etc. And I just felt what a beautiful sense of community and interconnection and, um, and reciprocity. Um, just in that, again, that time, that energy, um, giving of water and snacks and whatnot. As, and on that retreat as well is when I got to also see the, the hundreds of monks line the, the streets to, um, to fill up their alms bowls in the morning for food, again, given by those who live in the village. And we didn't have any fridges or anything on the monastery. So there was this trust that we have enough to eat today and we will get more what we need tomorrow. So again, that interconnection, reciprocity community that was being developed. And the food that the monks collected were to also feel all food, um, feed pardon, all of the nuns and lay practitioners. So we all shared in this. And it is partly one of the reasons why, um, according to some of the teachings, why the, um, the Buddha had, had um, really encouraged his practice communities when they would go, up, uh, go out and practice to not necessarily set up in isolated places and live off the forest, but to set up close enough to towns and villages so that there was still always this um, interaction happening on a daily basis. And so it is no exaggeration when Yang did the lineage acknowledgement earlier today, it is no exaggeration that is, it is not only because of the millions of practitioners that have come before us that allow us to have access to the teachings today, but it's also the millions and millions of those who have been generous to the practitioners that have allowed them to continue practicing to pass on these practices. It is also because of them that we have access to these teachings. And so when I ever, whenever I tune into that, it's, it's pretty wild, just like how me, when I feel alone, eyes closed in my, in my room or on my bed practicing, how, to how many people I'm actually connected to. Just a few more words. Um, the generous heart doesn't happen just because you want it to. So just naming that again. And as we continue to put energy and effort to bring generosity to our actions, the mind and heart will eventually open up to this care and generosity. It could be even how you reach for your glass of water or cup of tea. Can it be done in a way where the inner landscape is filled with generosity and care as opposed to kind of like, hey, cup of tea, give me what I want, which is this, this taste and um, hydration. You know, can it be like, thank you, tea? 
And one of the many exquisite paradoxes that exist in these teachings is that the more we give, and in particular, the more we give without seeking anything in return, well, then the wealthier in the broadest sense we become. By giving, we destroy the impulses to accumulate that ultimately lead to suffering, like greed or hatred, envy. David Loy, a Zen meditation teacher says, a society where people do not feel the benefit, that they benefit from sharing with each other has already begun to break down. A society where people do not feel that they benefit from sharing with each other has already begun to break down. And I repeated that twice because of just our proximity to cultures of, in which say individualism is highly emphasized. I think we're beginning to see that breakdown. And so how can we counter that from that becoming the norm, the global norm? It is because also of the generosity of others that I've been able to practice and to be where I am in the sense that not always have I been able to offer my time, energy, effort, attention, presence, or finances in a way that reflected the generosity or the gratitude in my heart. But this practice also inspires trust in many ways. And one of the ways that trust arose for me is to trust in myself that when I was able to offer anything else more freely or more abundantly that I would. And yet it's still a practice where sometimes my mind will still go into a little bit of that hoarding mentality that I've seen reflected in the way my mom as an immigrant has done a lot of things. And so honoring her path and process and yet acknowledging that that is not my path and process, but yet it's still a strong pattern that can arise. We, as, um, as I mentioned, Dana can be considered an honorary heart quality, at least in my mind. I didn't clear it by anybody else. Um, but we might also practice cultivating Kaga, this, this, um, this inclination of the heart towards generosity by practicing loving kindness meditation, so metta. Because as we begin to open our heart to both ourselves and others, we begin caring about the well-being of all people, of all beings. And as we grow to care about the well-being of all, then we naturally begin to feel more generous. One thing I also want to mention is that just because we might feel moments of, of grand, grandiose generosity, it doesn't mean that we've arrived anywhere. It could be something like your con the conditions change, a global pandemic, and then suddenly your livelihood is threatened, and then that will impact your kaga. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a strong practice, it's just the conditions have changed and that's impacting your practice. And how can that be okay while also still kind of keeping a watch on it that, that maybe this fear doesn't take over. 
You might also cultivate kaga by noticing how it feels when somebody else acts with generosity. And if you're feeling like, well, none of my housemates are generous, or I live alone, or I'm not in contact with many people, you can take just this retreat and think of our dear managers, Twinkle, Coral, and Tatiana, and how they are doing everything to corral us and, and keep us going, this retreat going out of generosity. And so even if you don't have a ton of tech questions or whatever it might be, um, perhaps you see them holding space or co-holding this space, and then that can inspire generosity or kaga in you. Basically, when we're surrounded by generosity, we begin to feel the effects and the opening of the heart. So if we could just close our eyes or turn our eyes downward for a few moments, letting whatever words feel like sticking to your heart, mind, and system, allow them to settle in those that are floating away, even as they float away now, let them go and they'll make their way back to you when appropriate. Seeing each other is hard. When we truly see each other, we want to help each other. Human beings are fundamentally generous, but our instinct to be generous gets broken down. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.